0: I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 23. I love that we get to jump into God's Word. Um, we need to hear from the Lord every week. We need to get into His Word and hear what He has to say to us. And uh, about a year ago, maybe less, I don't know, I was talking to Bridget about what the Sunday sermon was going to be, and I told her it was about facing opposition, and she was like, again? Really? You have talked about that a lot, and you know, I got to be honest, she was right. Um, Where we were in that section of Acts, we, you know, we were talking about the, the church facing opposition or Paul facing opposition, and we had talked about it a lot. Um, and really, that's, that's the deal, though. That's the story of the book of Acts. It's the story of the, of the early church getting started. It's, a, it's the story of the spread of the gospel. It's the story of them depending on the Holy Spirit through prayer. But it's also the story of them facing opposition from the enemy. And the enemy doesn't want to see God's people live like God's people. The enemy doesn't want to see the good news spread. The enemy doesn't want to see us being unwavering in our faith. The enemy doesn't want to see God's name lifted high here and beyond. And so anytime we're doing that, we, like the early church, should expect to face opposition. They faced opposition when they were getting started. They faced persecution when they were growing. When Paul was a missionary, he faced opposition from the Jews. When he came back to Jerusalem in Acts 15, he faced opposition from the Christians. He went back out and he faced opposition from Jews and Gentiles. All along the way, what we've read about, what we've learned about, and hopefully what we've been encouraged in how to deal with is Is facing opposition but yeah i get it you've heard a lot of messages on facing opposition and probably the last thing you want is another message about facing opposition so turn with me to acts chapter 23 today and we're going to talk about paul facing opposition but here's the thing i want you to hear we are going to face opposition from the enemy And sometimes, yes, it is spiritual attacks, and sometimes it's more practical things. We live in a broken, fallen world. Ever since Adam and Eve took a bite out of that apple, this world, sin entered the world, and everything's been messed up. And sometimes that does show up as spiritual attacks, and sometimes that shows up as struggles in our marriage, and sometimes that shows up as, as illness. Please don't hear. I'm not, I'm not like Bobby Boucher's mama in Waterboy saying, Bobby Boucher, that foosball's the devil. You know, I'm not trying to say everything bad that happens in your life is the devil. But because of sin and brokenness in this world, everything bad that's going on is because of the enemy attacking. And so here's what I want you to hear, though. We're going to face struggles. We're going to face trials. We're going to face opposition, but God's got this. Can you say that with me? God's got this. Let's say that again. God's got this. Do you believe that? All right, let's get the worship team up here. We'll have the invitation right now. We're, We're there. We don't need a sermon, right? We're good. All right, well, I got some stuff written. I got about 11 more pages to get through. So Acts chapter 23, beginning in verse 12. The next morning, a group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 of them in the conspiracy, and they went to the leading priests and elders and told them, we have bound ourselves with an oath to eat nothing until we have killed Paul. So you and the high council should ask the commander to bring Paul back to the council again. Pretend you want to examine his case more fully, and we will kill him on the way. But Paul's nephew, his sister's son, heard of their plan and went to the fortress and told Paul. Paul called for one of the Roman officers and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something important to tell him. So the officer did, explaining that Paul the prisoner called me over and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. And the commander took his hand and led him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? Paul's nephew told him, some Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the high council tomorrow, pretending they want to get some more information, but don't do it. There are more than 40 men hiding along the way, ready to ambush him. And they have vowed not to eat or drink anything until they have killed him. They are ready now, just waiting for your consent. Don't let anyone know you told me this, the commander warned the young man, Then the commander called two of his officers and ordered, get 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight. Also take 200 spearmen and 70 mounted troops or or cavalry. Provide horses for Paul to ride and get him safely to Governor Felix. And then he wrote this letter to the governor. From Claudius Lysias to His Excellency Governor Felix, greetings. This man, talking about Paul, was seized by some Jews, and they were about to kill him when I arrived with the troops. And when I learned he was a Roman citizen, I removed him to safety. Then I took him to the high council to try to learn the basis of the accusations against him. I soon discovered the charge was something regarding their religious law, certainly nothing worthy of imprisonment or death. But when I was informed of a plot to kill him, I immediately sent him on to you, and I have told his accusers to bring their charges before you. So that night, as ordered, the soldiers took Paul as far as Antipatris, and they returned uh, to the fortress the next morning, while the mounted troops took him on to Caesarea. And when they arrived in Caesarea, they presented Paul and the letter to Governor Felix. He read it, and then asked Paul what province he was from. Cilicia, Paul answered, I will hear your case myself when your accusers arrive, and the governor told him. Then the governor ordered him uh, kept in the prison at Herod's headquarters or Herod's palace. Here's here's the big idea that that I want us to see in this passage, guys. Last week, We saw that Paul, when he was probably uh, in most need of encouragement, Paul got encouragement from the source. Paul got encouragement from Jesus. And um, and Jesus told him, you know, God's not done with you. God's got bigger plans for you. And God's going to move things forward. That's what we're going to see in this passage is that even though Paul faces more opposition, God continues to move things down the road, move Paul a little bit further down the road to where he wants to take him. And, and what I hope you guys get is, like I said before, when we get serious about spreading the gospel, when we get serious about living for Jesus, when we get serious uh, about living an unwavering life of faith in God, we should expect opposition just like Paul did. However, we should also remember that we're not in this fight alone. We should also remember that God has got this, that God's got Our back, and he's going to continue to move us a little bit further down the road to where he wants to take us, even as we face opposition along the way. And I think that's important to remember because of point number one in your outline. Point number one is this the enemy is relentless. Point number one is this the enemy is relentless if you like to take notes you got a whole section of notes on the front and you got a whole bunch of blank space on the back for you to take your own notes or doodle or draw funny faces i don't know what but you know you got room to take notes i encourage you to do so the enemy is relentless like we said like we said at the start of last week and and the start of today rather the early church the early christians faced opposition they face, here, here we see them facing opposition from, from people, uh, and in the early church story, we see them facing opposition from people, but essentially it's facing opposition from the enemy, from Satan, from Satan using anyone or anything he can to slow down or to hamper or to hinder or even just flat out stop the progress of the church and the spread of the gospel. And here in this story, we see that the, the enemy, the people Satan uses, are a group of super zealous Jewish Fanatics, listen again to what their plan is. It says, uh, uh, and then the next morning, a group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed." paul there's more than 40 of them in this conspiracy and they went to the leading priests and elders and told them that we have bound ourselves with an oath uh, to eat nothing until we've killed paul so you and the high council should ask the commander the commander of the roman guards uh, to bring paul back to the council again pretend you want to examine his case more fully and we'll kill him on the way guys the enemy is relentless the enemy doesn't give up The enemy doesn't play fair. These 40 guys that made this vow, this was a solemn vow. This was an oath between them and God. And basically, the the, the solemnness of this, uh, what what a lot of writers say is they were saying, basically, God, if we don't kill Paul, then you kill us. That's how serious they were about this. I guess, though, uh, I, I guess these guys had never read the Ten Commandments, though, where it says, Thou shalt not kill. You know, I guess they missed the part in Ten Commandments where it says, you know, thou shalt not lie. Because here they are getting people to lie so they could kill. You know, I just got to wonder if maybe one of these dudes was sitting there going, okay, we're, we're getting people to lie so that we can kill. Are we the bad guys? You know, are we the wrong, you know, but whatever whatever it is, you and I need to realize that the enemy is relentless. And here's why. It's because the enemy hates Jesus. The enemy hates it when... When God wins, the enemy hates, it, hates the spread of the good news and hates to see the hope and the joy and the peace and the love and the comfort and the assurance that the gospel brings and that it brings to, and, and the change it brings to people's lives. The enemy hates losing and anytime you and I share the gospel, anytime you and I uh, get to plant the seed of the gospel or see somebody come to faith in Jesus, anytime we live for Jesus and are a shining light of of Jesus in our lives, God wins and the enemy hates that. And so the enemy is going to keep on coming after us. Matter of fact, here in your outline, the enemy is not going to stop coming after God's people who are pursuing God's plan, exalting God's name, and expanding God's kingdom. If you've heard anything over the last year and a half, almost two years, that's what we want to be about as people who are pursuing God's, pursuing God's plan, exalting God's name, and expanding God's kingdom. And if you do that, then the enemy is going to put a target on you. He's going to keep coming after you as you chase after Jesus. Matter of fact, the more you walk with God, the more determined you are to, 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 to have faith in Jesus and to, and to demonstrate that faith as an example to others, the more you can expect the enemy to come after you. The more you push forward to live with Jesus, the more you can expect the enemy to push back. But I love what Paul says in Philippians 121. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What Paul was saying, Paul understood something that I hope you and I get to the place where we understand that living for Christ is hard. Living for Christ is, is hard. As we live for Christ, we're gonna, it's going to be hard and it's going to keep on being hard, but that's what it means to be a Christ follower. To live for Christ means to partner with him in the suffering of the gospel. It means to be faithful to God during life's most difficult challenges. It means to press on, not in your own strength, but in His strength, in the strength that Christ gives you. Even when everything in your life seems like it's falling apart, and the only way out is when God calls us home to be with Him. Some of y'all are like, well, gee, preacher, that's really encouraging. I just feel all warm and, warm and fuzzy right now, you know. It's such a bubbly sermon. I'm glad I came today, you know. <laughs> Hang on. Let me give you some encouragement. The enemy may be relentless, but no, point number two is this. The enemy is powerless. The enemy is powerless. The enemy is no match for God. Look, the enemy is going to come after you. The enemy is going to throw stuff at you. He's going to do whatever he can to, to get you to, to, to slip up, to stumble, to slow down, to, to back down, to, to stop living for Jesus. You're like, hey, if I live for Jesus, I can expect more opposition. Okay, well, I'm going to back down. Listen, the enemy is powerless. As we see in this story, the enemy's no match for God. The enemy brings a Nerf bat to a bazooka war. Listen, listen to what happens here. I love this. Verse 20, Paul's nephew told him, the, the Roman commander, some Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the high council tomorrow, pretending they want some more information, but don't do it. There's more than 40 men hiding along the, the way ready to ambush him. They have vowed not to eat or drink anything until they've killed him. They, they are ready now, just waiting for your consent. Don't let anyone know you told me this, the commander warned the young man. And then the commander called two of his officers and ordered, Get 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight. Also take 200 more spearmen and 70 mounted troops. Provide horses for Paul to ride and get him safely to Governor Felix. Whoo! Guys, I love this. Our God is the one true God. Our God is God Almighty. And no one is a match for him. First, Yes, praise God. Thank you. First, the Lord has the right person in the right place at the right time. Paul's nephew is is just, we don't know how, but he is in the right place at the right time to overhear about this plot. And he takes that information and he, uh, God uses him to foil the enemy's plans to, to make their secret plans known. Next, we see that God uses a very unlikely source to be his hand of protection. He uses the Roman army he uses the Roman army that is oppressing and occupying uh, the people of Jerusalem and Judea. He uses the people who crucified Jesus to protect God's greatest missionary who has spread the message of Jesus further than anybody. Woo! The commander of the Roman army sends 470 soldiers to escort Paul. That's about half of his garrison. They, they estimate that the Roman garrison in Jerusalem was about was about a thousand. So he sends half his troops. You got to imagine the the, the enemy had no, had no had no idea that he'd go to that length. They're like, oh, we'll send 40. There's one of them. We'll send 40 of us. Uh, 40? How about 500? You know? And he and and on top of that, Antipatris is about 35 miles from Jerusalem. So these soldiers march all night probably about 10 hours, about three, four miles an hour. If I'm walking at my best pace, when I'm at full, the full, full of energy, I can do about three miles an hour in my neighborhood. You know, I'm feeling good if I'm doing, these guys were doing three or four, you know, trotting along beside the horses, trying to keep up probably all night long. Those 40 guys who hadn't eaten anything in a day or so, they're probably like, wait up. (laughs) Time out, you know, but anyway, so I mean, so, so these guys, you know, they escort Paul to Felix, and when he gets to Felix, Felix reads the case, and he says, okay, I'll hear your case, and then he keeps him in protection in the governor's palace. In other words, Paul could not have been in a more secure place when he got to Caesarea. Listen to what Psalm 34, 7 says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And delivers them. The enemy is no match for God. Remember what Jesus said to Paul in Acts uh, 23, 11? He said, to be encouraged, to take courage. He said, You're going you, to, just as you've testified here in Jerusalem, you're going to testify in Rome. Paul knew that. Paul was comforted by that. It didn't matter how determined the enemy was. What God, when, when God has said something's going to happen, that's what's going to happen. Paul could hang on to that encouragement that he received from Jesus because even when the enemy was ramping up their efforts, he knew the enemy's no match for God. Here's, here's the deal, guys. We don't know where God's deliverance is going to come from. We don't know when God's deliverance is going to come. We don't know how. We just know that God is God. And if he says he's going to do something, then he is going to do it. Chuck Swindoll says this. He says, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, then you're a child of God. And God has a greater purpose for you than anyone can imagine. God's plans for you are invincible, unalterable, and irrefutable. God will get you there. He's committed to it. He knows you. He knows what he wants to accomplish through you he sees beforehand the threats that are coming that haven't even gotten there yet god is god and nothing can stand in his way now i told you that thank you brother i told you that because of number three where's zach zach told me about a thing called a compliment sandwich was that you you start off saying something, you know, if you got to have a difficult conversation with them, you have a compliment sandwich conversation. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You start off with something nice, you know, then you, then you work in the, the tough, difficult thing, and then you end with, with something nice, you know. Compliment, difficult discussion, compliment. You know, you're doing good. Here's what you need to work on, but you're doing good, right? Well, this sermon is the opposite of that, okay? <laughs> here's something rough. Here's a promise, and then we're going to end with, there's something rough, okay? So I told you about how God's got this. I told you how the enemy is no match for God in point number two because of point number three. The battle is endless. The battle is endless. Listen again to verse 33 to 35. It says, when they arrived in Caesarea, they presented Paul in the letter to Governor Felix. He read it and then asked Paul what province he was from. Cilicia, Paul answered, I will hear your case myself. When your accusers arrived, the governor told him. Then the governor ordered him to be kept in prison at Herod's quarters. I want you to notice that Paul makes it to safety. The enemy's plans are foiled. Their assassination attempt is thwarted. Paul makes it to safety, but he's still in custody. He's still in prison. We're going to see that he stays in prison for about two weeks. We're going to see next week that he is kept in prison there in Caesarea for two years. And we're going to talk next week about what do you do when you feel like things are on hold? What do you do when you feel like life's got you in a holding pattern or God has you in a holding pattern? But what it wants to see here is, is, is that the battle we are in with the enemy, it's, it's a war. And we may, we may experience victory. God may give victory today, but there's going to be another battle tomorrow. Maybe even another battle later today. And the war's not going to be over until Jesus comes back once and for all and defeats the enemy forever, defeats Satan and death and hell and sin and sickness and heartache and hurt and brokenness, and all the other crud that's in this world because of sin. Which means, like I said, that we may see victory today, but there's going to be another battle tomorrow. And tomorrow is another opportunity for us to trust God, another opportunity for us to trust Him for another victory. Trusting God day by day, that's really what it means to be unwavering. Guys, we are in a fight. We're in a fight right now, and we're in a fight until the day we die. I don't know about you, but I I don't want to live that way. I I can't live that way. Let me clarify. I can't live that way in my own strength. I can't live that way in my own power. I can't live that way depending on me just to be strong enough to face battle after battle after battle after battle. I mean, I, I can fight for a little while, but I can't do it day after day after day after day. I need something else. I need Jesus. Joshua 1.9. I don't know if it's in your outline or just the scriptures there, but Joshua 1, nine. Write this down uh, if it's not there. It says to be strong. Don't be discouraged. Or disheartened, be strong not because of you, but because God is with you. That's the ASV, Ashley summarized version. Ephesians 6:10 says to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. In the power of His might. I heard a story, and just let me wrap up with this story. I heard a story about a little boy and And his father, who were working in the backyard, and the dad told the son, he said, hey, you see that big rock? Yeah. I want you to take that big rock, and I want you to move it to the front yard. And the little boy looked at this big rock, and it's about as big as he is. And he's like, how in the world am I going to move this big rock? Dad, that thing's too big. He said, look, you can use any tool at your disposal, any, any resource in the backyard you want, but move that rock. The little boy looked around, and he saw a wheelbarrow, and he pushed the wheelbarrow over there, and he tipped it over on his side, and he tried to push the rock into the wheelbarrow. And he could get it into the wheelbarrow, but he wasn't strong enough to lift it back up without it falling out. And so he went and found some boards, some two-by-fours, and he tried to use those like as a lever and, and, and a shovel and a pry bar. And he just tried as, as hard as he could, and, and he just couldn't, he couldn't do it. And finally came back to his dad and said, Dad, I can't do it. I can't move the rock. And he said, have you tried everything? He said, yeah, I've tried everything. Have you used every, every resource, every tool in the backyard? And He said, yes. And he says, have you asked me? I've been in the backyard the whole time with you. Have you asked me? And I ask you a question. Have you been trying to be strong in your own power? Have you been relying on you? Are you ready for the Lord's help? Are you ready to live with an unwavering faith not because of how strong you are, not because you got this, but because God's got this. Will you pray with me? God, I pray all across the room that people would call on you today. There are people facing struggles, struggles in their marriage, struggles in their finances, struggle with their health, struggles that nobody else knows about maybe but them and you. And they're trying to be strong God, I pray today they would call on you and say, I need you. I'm saved, I'm a believer, I trust in you, I believe in you, but God, I've been trying to do this on my own, and Lord, I need you. Maybe today your decision is to call on Jesus for the very first time to be your Savior. You've been trying to get through life on your own, and you realize that you can't do it. That what you need more than anything Is a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. You can do that today. You can call out to Him and pray. You can pray a very simple prayer, just saying, God, I need you. I know that you love me. Maybe you're ready to pray that prayer right now. You can pray it with me right now. God, I know that you love me. I'm sorry for living life on my own, I'm sorry for my sins. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for my sins and was raised back to life. Right now, I commit my life to Jesus. I place my faith in him to save me, to forgive me, to be my Lord and Savior. Now, God, help me to live for you. Even though the challenges are going to come, help me to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.